Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I don't have a guest, but I have put together a research piece into I think what I think is a very important story. It goes by many different names, but I've titled Femicide in Juarez. And uh, really what got me started on it was a podcast that I came across uh, while I was just kind of looking for something interesting to listen to. The title of the podcast that I listened to in its entirety is titled Forgotten, the Women of Juarez. And you can see it here on the screen if you're on YouTube. And there's a Spanish edition and an English edition. I think there's about 10 episodes, and it goes in detail. This one is very recent, this Forgotten Women of Juarez, and uh, I highly recommend it. So that was really kind of what got me into the story. Then I discovered another story, another um, another podcast titled The Red Note. So it's on the same subject matter, and you can see that here. And this is an interesting one as well. I think they're both worthwhile to listen to. Uh, I think really what is fascinating is the second one was um, it was narrated by a woman named Lydia Cacho, C-A-C-H-O. And she wrote a book called The Demons of Eden, which was a huge scandal in Mexico. And Demons of Eden was... Uh, you can see it on in Spain, the Spanish version on Amazon right now. It has 500 five-star reviews, and it was about a pedophile conspiracy that took place in Quintana Roo in Cancun that uh, kind of blew up in 2005. I think she's in hiding, I think, in Spain right now. Uh, there's all kinds of threats on her life, but it is, it's a whole other story, but I do think it's an interesting aspect of this original story that happened in Juarez, which is kind of the serial killings of young women in Juarez starting roughly around the early 90s. And so it kind of led me to read two books, which I've read in their entirety. One was by Diana Washington Valdez, titled The Killing Fields, Harvest of Women, The Truth About Mexico's Bloody Border Legacy. And then I also read another book, The Daughters of Juarez by Teresa Rodriguez. She's a Journalists for Univision or Univision, and uh, they're both worthwhile, both a little different. The Daughters of War, as the full title is A True Story of Serial Murder South of the Border. So I'll include all of these links and everything in the show notes, and uh, it's still happening. And really, I think what's important is to show that these kind of crimes can take place with impunity and the legal system and the the structures that are supposed to provide for, you know, safety of the residents uh, sometimes just aren't there. So I'm going to just kind of show on the map. So I'm going to show, actually going to show some audio from two documentaries. But first, I'm going to just show the topography of that area known as Ciudad Juarez, which is on the other side from El Paso. So you can see here on this map, um, Ciudad Juarez is right there on the border of Texas, where Texas and New Mexico meet. It's really a border town, and it's grown very rapidly in the in the time that these murders took place because it has all of the maquiladoras. So it has they're really using the labor, cheap labor. I would call it exploiting, uh, paying people like five dollars a day to assemble 
washers, dryers do kind of technological work. But you can see on this map the kind of layout of these two cities. They really are intertwined, but the, the murders that are taking place and the, the murder count just keeps growing and it's actually expanded through Mexico of these women. Uh, and I think that the, the last count is something like 2,000 women have been abducted. Most likely, a lot of them sexually abused and then uh, killed. So this is kind of the layout of the city. And you can see here the very center part, a lot of these women are taken off the street, broad daylight in the central area of Juarez. But I, I want to show something very important that's important to this case uh, is this kind of this passage route that takes place between the two cities uh, when you pass through this gate, the Paso del Norte, Puente Internacional Paso del Norte, you'll see this, you can see on the screen, there's this black cross um, with the pink background and that kind of symbolizes these femicide murders. So uh, you'll see the symbol used in this other uh, podcast. You'll see this black crucifix or cross with the pink background. So you'll see that through some of the imagery in this case. And, and you'll see uh, this is what people watch. And then, so these murders really do take place. It's a really a class issue as well. So the women are typically from very poor families. And there's a lot of very creepy elements to it. There's a tie-in to this computer center where they may be uh, being spotted and actually picked out. So there's kind of eerie, and this actual kind of came up into my re uh, research into the Smiley Face Killers, kind of the same kind of thing where some of these victims just are from a different class. They don't have the, kind of the resources and things like that, and there might be some selection process taking place. So it's really creepy. So this little cross here I think is very important if you can see it on the YouTube screen. Um, but I'm going to play a couple. There's two videos that I came across. One is called, there's a group called Echoes of the Frontier, or Echoes Without, Borders Without Echoes, I think is what it is, Voices Without Echoes, sorry. And they did a documentary. And then also another one I'm going to show is called Juarez, the Most Dangerous Place for Women on Earth. But I'm going to do an intro, and you can kind of listen along. I'm not going to show the full video, but here it goes.
Just across the border from El Paso, Texas, experts believe a serial killer is on the loose in Juarez, Mexico. Nearly 200 young women raped, tortured, and murdered. Investigators in the Mexican border town of Juarez called serial killings a nightmare. To their cries, held hostage by killers who slaughtered almost 400 women. The body count keeps rising in the Mexican border town of Juarez, just south of El Paso, Texas. Sounds like a wartime atrocity, but it's been happening for years now in a small town along the U.S.-Mexico border. It's not small. Since 1993, according to Amnesty International, more than 400 girls and women have been killed in Juarez, Mexico. Many more girls remain missing. At least a third of the victims bore signs of the abuse they suffered. They were gagged, tortured, and raped. A professor of criminology at the local Juarez University alerted police in 1992 that a serial killer was on the loose. Authorities ignored him. That guy's name is Minez, so he pops up in this whole story over and over, but they didn't mention his name. I don't know why. Well, the murders continue. <clears throat> They're not trying to establish, or they haven't established yet a pattern of the serial killer. And there needs to be, be uh, present in, in any investigation of this story. Juarez is the only um, city in the world that is associated with the murders of women. So she's the author of this book, The Killing Fields. That's Diana Washington Valdez. She lives in, in El Paso. So she knows what's going on. Let's get that Also, this is a really graphic story, so I would not recommend watching this if you're overly sensitive or having this in the background if there's young young people around in any way. This is, it gets more and more brutal. There have been more murders of women in Juarez than in other comparable cities like Tijuana or Matamoros. And the rate of women killed in Juarez is higher than it has been for cities of larger populations such as Mexico City and Guadalajara. It's incredible that this could be going on uh, in a major city of Mexico right across the border from an American city like El Paso, Texas. But this could be going on in a supposedly modern democracy as Mexico describes itself. Clusters of bodies have been found uh, at the same time uh, in three general stages. One was the 1995 findings in Lote Bravo, which is about two miles south of the airport in Juarez. Volunteers using CB radios came out here to conduct the sweep. Many young girls have been reported missing. One of the purposes of the sweep was to perhaps find victims. And in fact, they found eight bodies that year. This area used to be a dumping ground for people's trash. People would drive up in four-wheel drives. It was in a remote area in the desert where there's desert brush and the wind blows almost constantly. Diana Washington Valdez, a reporter at the El Paso Times newspaper, began covering the murders in 1999. 
despite death threats from the Juarez drug cartel and warnings from the FBI to stay away because of its dangers, nothing has stopped her passion to get to the bottom of these crimes. I became concerned, uh, not just as a journalist, but as a human being. As I delved into the cases a little bit further, I noticed that there was a lot of um, brutality involved in the murders, uh, extreme violence. We're not talking here about someone who is um, grabbed, raped, and killed, killed swiftly, for, for lack of a better term, saying, you know, out of a sense of compassion to have for victim. Uh, some of these women, uh, it appears, were abducted, held captive for a while, maybe several days, maybe longer. They were tortured in some cases. They were mutilated. And then they were killed. And then their bodies were dumped like the next day's trash. She just put out a new edition of her book, like within the last year. She said the numbers up to 2,000 of these types of deaths. And it doesn't just happen in Juarez, it happens in Chihuahua, certain parts of Mexico, too. So there's a lot of disappearances as well. But Juarez is kind of the epicenter. Uh, Sharif is an individual who has a history. Uh, when you look into his past, he has a history of uh, violent behavior. He has a history of sexual assault, a lot of it in the United States. He spent a lot of time in the United States of America. In fact, Sharif had served several years in prison for sexual battery of two women in Florida before moving to Midland, Texas. To avoid deportation to Egypt, Sharif voluntarily moves to Juarez working as a chemist. The prosecutor is a liar. What they telling you are lying. Is an ideal suspect. For this reason, the authorities have latched onto him. He has no connections here in Mexico. He has no support network. He has no friends and no no influence here. It might be a very easy scapegoat. In 1996, we have um, approximately eight bodies that are found in Lomas de Poleo at the same time. Lomas de Poleo at that time is more of a remote desert on the edges of the city in northwest Juarez, relatively close to the border. Families say that when their daughters go missing, Police have done little to look for them, rather than mobilizing efforts to find their loved ones. Que no ha habido una respuesta y que esta lista no es la única. Sabemos de que hay más de 50 jóvenes desaparecidos que aún se desconoce el paradero de ellos. Anyway, it kind of goes on and on. They found these fake suspects. They keep blaming people. Sharif Sharif was one of these guys. 
When Hester's parents came to Juarez in 2004 to find out more about their daughter's last moments and to collect her belongings, the evidence was nowhere to be found. Due to pressure by grassroots organizations, a Women's Homicide Investigation Unit was formed in 1998. We've been trying to reconstruct most of the cases that we have that date back to from, from that period of uh, 1993 to 1998 before the unit was formed. The mishandling of evidence, uh, uh, statements that were not taken back then, uh, no questioning of witnesses. Uh, it's a very sad story how the cases were being handled back then. Robert Ressler, a uh, retired FBI agent and world-renowned profiler, um, went to, uh, to Juarez and, and his preliminary uh, findings were very similar to the preliminary findings of, uh, of our onboard profilers. Well, roughly, I would say that the, in, in my overall assessment of 76 cases, I saw patterns that would indicate to me that uh, what I would believe that there might be several uh, serial murders that were not necessarily working in concert. Uh, all I can say is that there are some uh, signs that these murders have a relation, there is a relation between these murders and others committed before. It's a complicated case uh, when you talk about the, the, the rebels in Sharif because of the fact that we do have victims that belong to that time period, the time frame when they were operating. Putting Sharif aside because he's in custody, putting the, you know, the rebels aside because they're in custody, there's a possibility of at least uh, two uh, independently operating serial killers, possibly one uh, in the Juarez area, Mexican, uh, possibly uh, one coming from the United States, either American or Mexican-American. And of course, there's a, there's a possibility of, of a third because of the uh, recent dumping of the bodies inside the city. time that the bodies of the young victims were found here, there was a wooden shack that existed at the time. Where the people who went inside described uh, finding uh, women's underwear, other clothing belonging to women, blood on the walls, candles, and they also found uh, an intriguing item that was turned over to the authorities after the police were contacted. It was a board about four feet high and three feet wide with an elaborate drawing. The board had the images of nude women sitting down with long hair, tears, sad faces, army soldiers, marijuana plants. The volunteers turned the board over to the authorities and the authorities pledged then to have it analyzed for evidence. Six years later, you go to the authorities and they act like that never existed and the board disappeared. Nancy almost became one of the victims. In 1999, the 14-year-old was the last rider on the bus home after work at the Matigadora. She says the bus driver raped her and left her for dead. So office to Mexico.
anyway, it just goes on and on. It's really brutal because they keep busting these people who clearly aren't involved while the murders are still going on. So they call these guy groups the Toltecas and all this and Sharif Sharif. But uh, while they're in jail, the murders are continuing. So. The authorities go back into the file cabinet. Likely suspect. Let's go after him. The attorney general of the state holds a press conference to announce that we have solved these cases. Uh, we have the two suspects that committed the murders. And furthermore, they identified their victims uh, and they brought out the names. Case solved, the investigation is shut down. It's ended before it's really even got started. The men are presented to the media. This is a custom in Mexico saying these are the or these are the men who killed those eight women. But the families, of course, by then have uh, poured into the um, the morgue to try and identify uh, the bodies of these uh, victims. The two men, once they finally are taken to El Cerezo, after a judge dictates that there's enough evidence to hold them, uh, to consider them formally under arrest, the prison director of El Cerezo, of course, he has to do medical exam to certify how he receives the inmates. So they did a medical exam of the two bus drivers, Focan and Cerillo, and his medical doctor was able to determine that these people had injuries that were associated with torture. Okay, so we have people in custody who claim they were tortured and they have signs on their bodies of burn marks and bruises. How can you have a multiple homicide case like this and it be solved? In two days, I mean, in two days, they had suspects that they rounded up and, and took them to the to the safe house, a totally irregular. And by then, nobody bought it. Nobody bought it. The mothers of the murdered victims and the wives of the suspects attempt to confront the state prosecutor. He refuses to meet with them. The attorneys for the bus drivers found one of the strongest cases ever seen against the state of Chihuahua. These guys are important because one of them gets hunted down and shot in the back of the head by the police. I can't remember which one it was. I think it's the guy on the far left. But uh, yeah, it's incredible. The corruption's off the charts. <clears throat> Well, uh, no, I don't know.
el doctor Oscar of the victims uh, to this day are not, are still in doubt. They're still in doubt. Uh, because deep There's just a lot. I mean, you can go, I'll put the links, you can watch this entire video, but uh, it just goes in detail and all the corruption and bungling and stuff. Yeah, he was the one who ends up getting shot in 2002. The first commander, Alejandro Castro-Varias, gets out, jumps up in the back of the pickup truck, breaks... In fact, it's so loud because of the winds that you can really see how even a woman who might be struggling would never be heard. So there's these crosses. I don't know if they're still there today, but they're supposedly all over Juarez. In front of the Amac headquarters, they're right behind me. Like. I'll put all the links in the description when I'm done. Diana and the FBI briefed the U.S. congressional delegation during their visit to Juarez and El Paso. Which is ironic is that they're right behind us at the headquarters for the maquiladora industry. Well, I think it's a, a, a terrible uh, lie that has been told to the American public that the maquiladoras are good for the United States and that they're good for Mexico. And it's obvious by what we're seeing here behind us and uh, of all the tragedy of the women that have been murdered, the, you know, almost 400 women that have been murdered, that this is, it's, it's been a disaster. We're also extremely concerned uh, that a lot of these women have worked for the U.S. companies. Uh, and we have an obligation to make sure that those U.S. companies are held accountable also uh, to make sure that uh, they become responsive. Uh, they dump the bodies, like saying, right in front of the Amak headquarters, they're right behind me, like saying, this is a um, uh, this is a joke for us. We feel that you cannot stop us. We're going to continue killing people. We're going to continue killing women. And here's a little gift for all of you. Since you cannot ever arrest us, you don't have the will, you don't have the know-how, you're smarter than you are, Here's a little gift for you. That's that's what many of us think. It's a very emotional day to be here, to visit not only this shrine that was made for the women, the, the women that they found here, but to also visit where they live, where they come from, how far they travel, to get here to work, to help to have a better living for their families. 
when I was uh, figuring out how to structure this panel, it seemed very important that we have one panel that really focused on the border. Seeking to raise awareness about the Maquiladora murders, UCLA professor Alicia Gaspar de Alba organized a three-day conference named the Maquiladora Murders, or Who is Killing the Women of Juarez? This conference brought together scholars, journalists, activists to discuss possible solutions on a multinational level. So I would hope that you would help join in that effort and be mindful of what is going on in our society right now. From what I've learned, from what I'm hearing, is that this has not taken place. Preservation of the crime scene has not been done. But I see the, the culture beginning to change. For example, I've been invited see yeah i mean i think you could just spend time watching the whole thing but there's a lot more okay this is kind of curious because these two guys this scene right here is uh sharif sharif and then another group that's supposedly blamed for the murders walking right by each other so they're supposed both supposedly involved he is finally released in june of 2006 see on the bottom left is sharif sharif who's dead now who was he was he was involved in all kinds of sexual assaults in the U.S. and then ended up in Juarez. And then these guys right here are also uh, blamed for it. <clears throat> Shadi Shadi dies in prison in 2006 under mysterious circumstances. We have the murders in Chihuahua City, about a dozen of them, that followed a similar pattern, brutal murders involving uh, sexual assault, Anyway, that you can uh, that can all be kind of like watched. I'll put it again in the show notes. There's a lot of information there, um, but I'm going to do another one. This is another documentary titled "Juarez: The Most Dangerous City for Women on Earth." It was put together in 2003, and I just want to show you a couple scenes from this. One is really astonishing. I think it shows a lot of police corruption, and uh, I'll play that. Let's see if I can get that up there. Oscar Mines, killer. Organized crime wouldn't. Uh, I don't believe that people involved in organized in organized crime and criminal activities involving drugs uh, would risk uh, bringing all this heat to themselves by committing those homicides. I've heard from people that they don't care if they're bringing heat on themselves because they don't believe that anyone in Mexico will ever will ever persecute them. Any authority in Mexico will persecute them. I can tell you one thing. Up till now, we don't have any information that links our cases to organized criminals, to the big drug cartels, I don't think so. Uh, and time might prove me wrong, or the, even the investigations as they advance could prove me wrong. But up, up till now, up till this day, I don't believe that's the case. Some of the alleged marks... He said most of the murders have been solved. I asked whether he thought they had the real culprits given the allegations of torture that have dogged these cases. We haven't tortured anyone. I'm very sorry if I'm going to sound rude with this, but uh, I don't think I, uh, I don't think I have to stand for a lot of this. Uh, I, I do consider a little bit of badgering and we've been very open to whatever we have in our investigations. Uh, I wouldn't have to torture anyone into any confessions because I trust my work and I trust the people I work with. And I know that the people we have put in prison are criminals. I can tell you, I don't like the way this thing is going. The interview is coming to an end. 
I'm just going to show you the case file. The longer you stay yeah. in Mexico, the harder it is to trust the authorities. Norma Ledesma took... It's just super corrupt and just all these really savage murders. They tried to blame somebody else, too. This guy was said he was tortured. This, These two people, the, I can't remember their names, but they were blamed. They were Americans blamed. So there's all this blame shifting towards candidates that... Uh, we're obviously not suspects. Let's see. Let's see if I can find that piece with that. Of a craft shop, Cynthia Kiko had confessed to murdering Viviana. I went to meet two of her friends who had signed statements saying they'd seen her carry out the killing. Because they wanted to answer a few questions. They were in hiding, but with their lawyers. can't remember where that one is anyway it's just a really brutal story but there's uh, a lot more i think i'm going to read through some of the other just a couple pieces from this book it is uh diana washington valdez is the killing fields and she comes up with a completely different kind of take she does not believe in any way shape or form that it's even kind of a serial killer even though there were some serial killers in that area there was one guy, Resendez. I don't know if you've heard of Angel Matarino Resendez. Let me see if I can share that. This guy was somebody who <clears throat> was uh, in that area. And I think he was uh, he was finally caught. He was like the train killer. But he was finally caught, I think, in El Paso. Resendez Bridge connecting El Paso, Juarez, Ciudad Juarez. But... It's a, just a very sketchy area um, in a lot of ways. That, but, yeah, let me see if I can read a couple of these things and then maybe take some questions if you guys want. But I really – I listen to all of those podcasts. So I'll put the two documentaries, the two books, and the two podcasts in there so you can kind of uh, go whatever route you're interested in uh, kind of going through. But I think the two of the two books that I read – Valdez definitely has more kind of on-site first-person accounts because she was right there in, in El Paso. I think the other one by Rodriguez is she goes into a lot more detail about Sharif Sharif, but they kind of end up, I think, 20, 2007, 2008. So I wouldn't call them contemporary. But they, I mean, it is interesting because she knows know a lot of front first-hand stuff. She talks about a guy... Uh, known as Guerrero, was known as El Brujo because he performed magic rituals and sold amulets. And some of the girls had triangular scars on their backs, the details of which I don't know. And a lot of them had hyper brutal, uh, you know, wounds and scars from that. Something that reminded me, and some people mentioned here the whole Matamoros, his name was uh, Constanzo Jesus. Uh, Constanzo was his name, and he was definitely a witch. He was a flat-out witch. So there is an element and something of kind of uh, an element of witchcraft in some of these cases. And a lot of those guys, the narco-traffickers, do exist. The satano, satanic narco-traffickers were on a different, different part. I can't remember when Constanzo ended up his killing spree, but it was in a different part of uh, 
different part of Mexico on the Texas border. Golfo Jesus Constanzo, nineteen eighty nine is when he was finally um, abducted, but he killed Mark Kilroy out of Matamoros in nineteen eighty nine. So, but yeah, so <clears throat> let's see. There's just other things. There was like, uh, and some of the, the some of the victims were very young, like ten years old. So some the. The authorities seem to want to constrict the amount of victims. In my mind and what I saw, there was a lot more um, brutality, violence, and a lot more victims. So it's probably in the hundreds. And what Diana Valdez goes in detail is that it's not just happening in Juarez. It's happening throughout Chihuahua. And the original kind of impunity crimes were, she traces back to the 80s, where there were policemen in Mexico City who would wait late at night and abduct women from bars and, and rape them. And I think, you know, abuse them and they never had impunity. And that kind of spread through, she thinks spread up to Chihuahua where Juarez is in. So, and she says, here's a quote from her, the systematic rapes in Mexico city may have served as training for the police mafias that proliferated in Mexico during the 1990s. So, and she also, she said, experts said gang rapes served as an initiation right for police fraternities or brotherhoods that assisted crim organized crime and illicit activities, such as trafficking and drugs, weapons, and women and children. So these collective cries, crimes test new recruits. So these crimes may be something like a mafia, like the mafia does, where you're blood in or you commit a crime and so they know that you're on the squad. And so she says, yeah, a lot of these... Um, these victims are like, they're like binding, uh, these girls, they're binding like like events and murders that bind the criminals together because they've, they've committed these crimes together. I mean, there was alleged, the reports alleged that attic of one of the clubs that they had downtown was used to store souvenirs of the victims, such as hair. And the suspects showed them off this off as trophies to customers. And there was this one place, a really creepy story, which is there was a commonality between some of the victims at a computer training school called ECHO, E-C-C-O was its acronym. And there were, there were pictures, the girls would take pictures there and somebody was banding about those pictures. So it was almost like the victims inadvertently put their put their pictures on a place that somebody else was able to select them from. So that was, that was the, that was an allegation because it was there. Yeah. Special prosecutor Liliana Herrera acknowledged that at least eight missing or dead girls were echo students or had some connections to the school. And a lot of these echo had two schools in downtown Juarez, another one in downtown Chihuahua city. Teenagers with, with profiles similar to the Juarez victims who were connected to it yeah so that's kind of a brutal um, element of the story they had two kinds of people at the echo school they had students who enrolled in the classes and promotors or promoters who recruited students and other potential recruiters 
Um, I noticed that they focused intensely on my daughter, said one woman, who was starting to believe whatever they told her. They promised everything, including a lot of money and the potential for travel. It was too good to be true, and I started to get suspicious. Echo managers then scheduled a talk for the prospective recruiters at Awara's Hotel. They treated the prospects to a meal and conducted several interviews. In those days, they were sending men and women recruiters to some of the most remote neighborhoods of Juarez. They knocked on doors and invited people to join Echo. They kept or took our original identification documents, so they were collecting their IDs and stuff. Yeah, creepy. Well, in his research, one New Mexico journalist, Ken Patterson, learned that several young women disappeared had a, had a connection to a computer school or internet cafe. At least 16 young women with some sort of contact with Echo and other private computer schools in Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua City, and Nuevo Laredo have been murdered or disappeared. Many have been raped. Considering Mexico's explosive growth in internet use in recent years, computers can become lethal tools for those who target young women for abduction, rape, and murder. So there's something there, you know, crazy. Aurora City enforcement officials estimate as many as 500 gangs operated in the city. So there's this huge gang element there. I mean, I can go. It just the the just the stories in the vernacular of what's going on in Juarez were off the charts. Tons of drug dealing. Uh, it became a kind of a centerpiece for the Colombian cartels and the transport north. And so these women became part of the illegal kind of. Uh, there was a parallel economy. There was a standard economy, and then there was the cartel economy there. And in that economy, these girls became, they became binding things and, and you know, uh, victims in this cartel where uh, there was, they, the murders were part of this kind of bonding thing, and they would, that's where it was. And so all, in my opinion, and I think it's the opinion of Diana Valdez, is that these these were part of this cartel thing. So all of those murders, or most of the murders, and maybe there were copycats, but a lot of those murders were uh, done by people with it who were never going to be punished. People with impunity who, you know, paid off everybody. So the whole economy was a cartel kind of economy, which is really scary. And these poor girls who worked at Maquiladoras and were vulnerable coming, going to, and leaving work were picked up. And that's, that's really the, I think the core story and really what happened or is happening. And I have to go back and see what the more recent cases is. But like I said, she, Diana Valdez says it's a 2000. Uh, and I, she just redid her book, re-edited her book. So, and I haven't seen the last narc. I don't know what that's about, but there is this story has been brought up in other films. So there's one Narcos Mexican scene. I think it's. Um, let's see if I can bring this up. Narcos three. Season three has the Suarez killings based on a true story. This is an article from. I think it was one of the. Um, I think it was one of the <clears throat> Hollywood Hollywood uh, celebrity, not celebrity, Hollywood industry sites. So Narcos, this is from last year, 21. So not that long ago, a couple months ago. So that this kind of theme or story was in that. There was another one. Um, let's see. 
Virgin of Juarez with Mini Driver. And then I think there was one with, oh, what is it? No, it was with Jennifer Lopez. It's called Border Town. There it is here. So you can kind of, this is featured in these ones. Martin Sheen and Jennifer Lopez. And there's an article, too. I'll put this up. This was from, I think, Max Blumenthal. just from Salon that covered this story back, I think, in 2002. Title of that is Day of the Dead. And their number there is 325 women. Um, and the really, the, I mean, and you can go into, you know, this, this other, let's see, the red note. This is the woman who kind of did the same thing that was happening in Cancun, like pedophilia, child pornography, really gnarly stuff. Let me see if I can find that. Let's see if I can find this. And this is her book. This is translated from Spanish. The Demons of Eden, The Power That Protects Child Pornography. In 2005, Lydia Cacho shook public opinion with the appearance of the Devils of Eden, a detailed investigation into the corruption network that protected the sexual abuse of minors in Cancun by famous businessmen and public officials. In 2005, Lydia Cacho submitted to public opinion the famous case of Jean Sukar Curry, a hotelier of Lebanese origin, an American resident who committed sexual abuse of minors in Cancun and was protected by both local authorities and high-ranking politicians who even participated in the crime of corruption of minors. And then this, this was like a huge story in Mexico. Um, yeah, let's see. Anyway, there's a lot there. Like I said, you I'll put all the, the stories. I'm at about 45 minutes. I got about 15 minutes left. If anybody wants to want to ask any questions or anything. No, that was all Amber female victims. These were kind of always the the women were the target but there were men victims not to this same crime like all of these murders happened in the context of other murders that took place at that time in Juarez so there's all kinds of cartel killings of men and fights but these ones this specific you know distinct pattern of women being murdered since 1993 or 92 uh is like a subset of the larger kind of uh, cartel uh, legal breakdown type of cases uh, that happened around there uh, involving involving the drug trade, and I think she Valdez said in one like the very like one of the sequences of her books what happened was, and this is kind of the end of her book. She says she got information that at some point a former president of the of Mexico sat down with political leaders in Chihuahua. And said, Chihuahua has been sold to um, the cartel, to the Colombian cartel, not the Mexican. And we will, you know, we're going to ship their drugs through here. And that when that money got spent, spread around and that influence and that kind of uh, impunity. And there was a huge, uh, a name that pops up often is the Carrillo cartel. There's two brothers, Amado Carrillo and something else. So it's like, it's like Sicario or, uh, you know, narcos or something in real life, like a really much more graphic. And I think Korea 
like something strange happened where he want he was he made billions of dollars he was wanted and then he went to mexico city to get plastic surgery and supposedly died during that surgery and then his doctors who were working on him both they were found in like uh 50 gallon drums like they were murdered too so it just it's just it's just a bunch of death and this is part of that this these killings are just a part of that kind of situation there was something from condoleezza rice i think you could see that in that uh the border echoes documentary so she knows about it there was some celebrities who showed up there i think it was jane fonda um some known cultural cultural figures knew about this whole story so I don't know if it got as much press as it should have, but I, you know, I just vaguely remembered it, but uh, I do think it's an important story. And maybe things like that happen, maybe not on such a vast scale as what's happening in Juarez, but similar events could, you know, um, be happening here, you know, in a small, smaller degree. I've always thought like some of the smiley face killers involved are selected and people fly in. Like if you look at Joey Labute, who I taught was one of the first people I studied on the Smiley Face Killers was uh, took place in Columbus, Ohio, over the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding, you know, convention. So maybe somebody flew in and they did the crime and left. So yeah, computer op recruiting villagers, yeah, something like that, like a front. Um, there was rumors about the rich people in Juarez their children they called them the the nephews or something like that and that they were they were some of the people involved in it and they would you know go on drug drug binges and then go abduct children uh, there would be intermediaries where they you know the kids uh, the young women would be abducted narcos with badges dfs yeah it's super corrupt i mean that whole area is really corrupt right now and still is and i think that there were similar cases in uh tijuana as well so the juarez was kind of like an epicenter of where there were the most cases but tijuana chihuahua city mexico city um yeah so abductions and i mean even she says and valdez says they're kept for a time that's kind of another of the similarities of the smiley face killers where they clearly are kept for some somewhere for some time and so yeah um these are just horrific crimes let's see what else do i got this is kind of my first kind of research drop so uh i definitely learned something putting this together but i think that I can put, you know, get a lot of information out. So Lydia Cacho's blog, she has a blog too. Let me see if I can pull that up. Yeah, her, her story, that's just a whole nother story. Since December 2005, due to the death threats and the criminal accusation for defamation and slander against me, filed by human traffickers and orchestrated by public judiciary under orders of the governor, then governor Mario Marine, Marin and his campaign financer, Kamel Nassif Borges, I was forced to prove the crimes and build with personal resources in my own defense and that of the victims between the ages of two and four. 
together with Jose Luis Santiago Vasconcelos, then prosecutor of the Organized Crime Division Office, we demonstrated that my book effectively documents a formal network of organized crime, money laundering, child pornography, and child trafficking. Then it went to California court, held that Sukar Khoury admitted seven reported of child pornography, raping girls between the ages of four and 13, considered sufficient legal evidence to arrest and extradite him to be tried for those crimes in Mexico. This happened during the entire six-year term of Felipe Calderon. Under death threats and evading people financed by that network to discredit myself, I fought a legal battle for six more years. Four lawyers sold out. I took the case to the Supreme Court. I lived five years with escorts and attempts on my life, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, these things happen. Let's see. But I remember her book, Lydia Koch's book. So she's the one, again, who is involved in the Red Note. So I'll put that up. Red Note, Forgotten the Women of Juarez, the two books um, I will put up as well. But I think that's it. I mean, that's kind of an overview. I think you can get into more details. I had a lot more specifics from Valdez's book, which are interesting. But um, <clears throat> yeah, if you guys have any questions, ask them now. But all the links, I think you can really kind of do a deeper dive um, and kind of get more of the story. But I think I'm going to do another one like this on some public figures that I've been researching too, and not really even have guessed as much as just kind of going through some of the material and giving people kind of a, maybe a broader, myself included, broader, more nuanced, multifaceted view of some of these, I think stories that may not get the, get the same attention. Like, I think that's, this is an important story. And I think it's really kind of the, kind of the future, human migration, human trafficking, there's a lot of bad things happening at the border right now, too. So, um, Anyway, that was kind of my first kind of adventure into uh, doing just a research piece on my own. But uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you have any questions, ask them now. Before. You know, like I said, all the stuff I will put in here, I will put in the notes and the books. And uh, maybe you can follow up on your own. But like I said, the, the difference between... This book, The Killing Fields and Daughters of Juarez, Baldez was there on point, but I think there is some, this girl, Teresa Rodriguez, has her own, yeah, I think she does more work on Sharif Sharif than, than Baldez, and there's just a different approach. But all the stories are there, kind of the different body findings, the corruption, the blaming of the wrong suspects, the obvious uh, bungling of the crime scenes. And the just the it's almost like it's too intentional. So anyway, you guys have a good day. Thanks for listening. William Ramsey investigates. Bye bye.